Hear that? Believe it or not, summer is just around the corner. Luckily, Armorall, America's most trusted auto appearance brand, has what your car needs to get that perfect summer shine. Plus, now through May 31st, we'll give you $5 for every 20 you spend on Armorall products. That means car wash pods, protectant, tire shine, you name it. Find out how to get your $5 rebate at armorall.com. Armorall, less work, more clean. Terms apply. Get ready for the greatest roast of all time, the Roast of Tom Brady, a Netflix live event happening May 5th Hosted by Kevin Hart, the seven-time world champion gets his cleats held to the fire by famous friends and frenemies on an unforgettable night where everything is fair game. Tune in on May 5th at 5 p.m. Pacific time for The Roast of Tom Brady, live only on Netflix. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Mary redeemed a $50,000 cash prize playing Chumba Casino this year. I was only playing for fun, so winning this was a dream come true. Chumba Casino is America's number one social casino experience. It's serious fun. With over 80 casino-style games to choose from, you too could win life-changing amounts of cash. Be like Mary. Log on to ChumbaCasino.com and give them a whirl. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. Void or prohibited by law. 18+. plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. The voice in the preceding commercial was not the actual voice of a winner. It's the Autosport Podcast. We ask who really is Formula E Championship favourites and whether the racing is getting too robust. ABB FIA Formula E Championship heads back to Monaco this weekend as the championship fight starts to build towards its climax in New York in July. But with eight different winners in eight races this season, are we really getting any closer to knowing who is favourite? I'm your host, Ed Straw, and as always, when things get electric on the Autosport podcast, I'm joined by our Formula E correspondent, Alex Kalanorkas, who's got a good podcast set up, brought in his, his coffee from a popular high street uh, high street chain, so you're you're well set. Yes, hello, Ed. Yes, thank you very much. This coffee actually bought to me by our technical editor, Jake Boxall Leg. It's very good service he provides on rare occasions. So. Well, you yeah. say that, but I've, very been, generous, though. I've been having trouble getting him to, to make me tea. Uh, this tea yeah. I had to make myself. Shocking. It's shocking, frankly, isn't it? Yeah, yeah. I mean, at least he is a he is a tea appreciator, which I think is a good thing. Oh yeah, I don't really like tea, so we're off to a bad start. Heathen, terrible. Tale. You should have seen the look. Obviously, you can't see in this medium the look <laughs> of hatred that Ed just gave me there. But Shocking. Anyway. Well, that's hatred, more just bafflement and astonishment. It's just like hot water. What's the point? So much more than hot water. I know. So I mean, I know the more. nuts and bolts of it, but that's basically what it is. <laughs> well, that's a whole uh, whole different podcast. One day we'll do we'll do coffee versus tea as a debate. We do our great driver debates and that kind of thing. So you need Stuart Codling for a 
you know a food or beverage based podcast. That's very true. He can he can bring his uh, his expertise from his seven years in the catering industry, as he always tells us. Well. What's been going on in Formula I mean, the reason I ask. You mean you haven't been watching? No, I have. I have been watching, but I'm I'm talking in in broader terms because we've had eight races, and I'm just going to win. Read down the winners list. So in Adiria, Antonio Felix da Costa won for BMW, Marrakesh, Jerome D'Ambrosio won for Mahindra, Santiago Sandberg won for Virgin, Mexico Lucas de Grassi won for Apt Audi, Hong Kong. Eduardo Mortara won for Venturi, their first win. Sanya, Jean-Eric Verne won for Diaz de Cheetah. Rome, Mitch Evans won for Jaguar. And then Paris, Robin Freund's won for Virgin. Now, we've only got four more events left. And we've got eight winners in eight races, which is which is great. But I would ask what's going on. You know, who really is favourite? Who's got the fastest car? What What's the best package? It's really, really hard to tell. No, those are all absolutely... Um great questions ed because we don't we don't really know the answer to them yet for, for, for a variety of circumstances and also i should say i forgive you for not having seen the last two races as they uh, do clash with formula one events that you'll be at I, and I, also going forwards all of the rest of them do as well so you've got no hope of keeping it's frustrating up. the uh i did manage to watch most of the the rome race so it's quite late in china and the long red flag caused problems and i i, I tried to catch up on paris uh, this morning just after after getting back so uh, so i feel like whilst whilst those two events i didn't follow quite as closely as i'd normally like to if it's a non f1 weekend so i do i do like keeping a very close eye on formula e. i've at least got half an idea of what's going on but then again a little knowledge is a dangerous thing isn't it yeah so you know it informs your questions though at least i, I should yeah. probably let you talk then so <laughs> well why is it so difficult to understand or or be certain who's got the best package and will things become any clearer in the next, I think it's five races, because it's a double-headed It's a double-headed season, in so. New York, yeah. So five races, four events. So the reason why it's so difficult to establish who is, you can't really say the fastest Formula E car, but you can say, I think you could easily say the best Formula E car. A bit more subjective, but really remember the the, the, different, the differentiation, is that a word? Probably. Anyway, uh, that, that, that determines which is the the best car in every Formula E season, when it's, is, it, is efficiency rather than overall pace. Because there's actually no point having a, very fast Formula E car because if there's a safety car you just wasted all that energy so it's about having just establishing the gap by having the most efficient car but what's happened this year specifically because of the qualifying rules where the uh, top five are, uh, in the championship are grouped together in group one which there's a little bit of little bit of back and forth between the drivers and Formula E and the FIA about whether that is actually a massive factor. The drivers certainly uh, feel that way, and it is backed up. You know, that on, it's actually on a rare occasion that a driver makes it out of Group One and gets through to Super Bowl for the rest of the session. So what that means is, even if you have the best overall package, it's more often than not you're going to be stuck back in the pack quite difficult to overtake at a lot of Formula E venues and you're not going to be able to show how good your package is and at every single race Rome Rome slightly different because there was a red flag in Rome but they stopped the clock that was the first time they'd done that they changed the rules that weekend and the idea was that was just make it a little bit easier for everyone to follow but also make sure that you know this was going to be a proper efficiency test but also in Rome there's full course yellow so as soon as that happens the drivers are like right as soon as we have the briefest interruption we can go flat out to the end we did see it a little bit towards the end and mitch evans was being told right slow down slow down don't have another lap and he, he himself said he himself said i i could have gone for that i could have destroyed everyone's races if i'd if i'd gone flat out to the flag so there was a little bit of a factor towards the end and it was interesting to see that it was jaguar and ds to cheetah with evans and lottera that were up there other factors kept other drivers from from challenging them but that i have to i was that the best race of the season i think it probably was in terms of like 
what you'd say was a more traditional motorsport battle of two drivers, two different teams going at it for the win. Whereas we've had incredible races in, in, in the year. I'm thinking Mexico, I'm thinking Marrakesh, other, other factors that play there. Um, so in terms of who's got the best car, we saw earlier on in the season, it was... There seems to be some applause breaking out. I don't know if the microphones will have picked that up. I, I think that's applause for your insights in the background. We can we can only assume. We can only assume. So early on in the season, it looked like DS to Cheetah comfortably head and shoulders above the rest. You had your Audis, your BMWs, Virgin, obviously with Audi factored in there as well. But ever since then, particularly as the qualifying uh, uh, factor has come into play more and more, it's been harder and harder for DS and the teams around them to be able to show what they can do. So. We can't definitively say DS has the best car because we can't say that about anyone. Uh, and also, they've not been given the chance to show it. it one team boss uh, the other day was almost lamenting the fact that we haven't been able to to, to, to show that. You know, there, there haven't been enough energy efficiency tests to be able to, 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 to fall down on with one team in particular. I guess you could then say, well, until we get a completely clean race, we won't see that. But expecting a clean race in Formula E is, is quite optimistic. So I, I guess the real question is, when you have a championship like this, we haven't really got a proper narrative, a proper storyline to the championship. And like variety is brilliant, but sometimes if things get too amorphous, it can be a little bit less engaging for, for fans, shall we say. So, it, I mean, do you think that's a, A, do you think that's a problem? And B, do you think that that makes this more a championship that you win through consistency rather than excellent should we say are we going to get to the end of the season and not not be so sure that the that the champion has, has been the best performer overall is the is the top 10 obviously at the end of the season you always do your top 10 drivers which is always interesting and often, extra, extra tricky this year exactly but often it diverges from the championship order well, almost invariably they do but could this be even more jumbled than than usually so I know one person who doesn't have a problem with eight winners from eight different races and that's Alejandro Gag who's positively delighted at what what's happening there but how much of that is down to being delighted about what the fans are seeing and how much of that is down to the fact that it keeps all the teams and manufacturers happy. I think it's more, I think, well, it's, it's, it's tricky that because I think it's more that like, wow, look at this unpredictability. That's what they, uh, that's what they're always keen to, keen to press home in Formula E is how close to racing is and how basically anyone can win because of the rules packages that they've put in place. And it does sort of, it proves the concept and the approach that they're doing. Um, whether it keeps the teams and manufacturers happy, I don't know. And I wonder about this because I personally don't think eight winners from eight different races is a good thing. I look at it and I, th- I think, well, where's the narrative? Where's your, where's your Hamilton versus Rosberg or your Hamilton versus Vettel currently or your Prost versus Senna going back to the day? Where is that traditional sense of battle? You know, you look at the Premier League. It's, where's your Man City Liverpool where people, even if they're not fans of those particular clubs, can think, oh, I want that team to win or, or this is just gripping. It's not gripping at the moment in Formula E. It's, 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 it's a hell of a lot of variety and brilliant races still, but there's, no, there's nothing sort of tangible that we think about in like a, a normal motorsport title fight. New York's going to be brilliant if we arrive there and eight or ten different drivers can win. It's going to be, it's going to be utter chaos. But I don't know. It, I, I, I get that different doesn't always mean bad. But for me, I don't know, it just feels like it's missing something this year a little bit. Well, it's that, it's that rivalry and then, uh, because there's so many drivers who are still in contention for the for the title, there's no one driver who's looking at another. And so there's no extra stakes on specific battles, shall we say. It, it's really difficult because you don't want things to be too predictable. You don't just want two people winning all the races. So it's a fine line between having enough variety and, and surprise and, and having this, having this, this clear storyline. I always remember years ago I covered World Touring Car Championship 
back in the day, and they had a ballasting based on points. And so you tended to get, you got a certain amount of ballast based on how many points you had. And so you kind of get the strongest will pull away initially, and then they'll get dragged back, and then others would gradually win. And then you'd all get to Macau at the end of the season, and there'd be five, seven drivers in, in contention, which is nice. And normally the best performer or one of the best performers came through, but it was just a tiny little bit amorphous because of that. And I know, again, the reason I mentioned that keeps the teams and manufacturers happy is because you can at least say, hey, well, we're Jaguar, we've won a race, or we're we're Audi, we've won a race. And in fact, Audi would have won, what, three races with a powertrain? Because yes. they power yeah, Virgin. Yeah. So I suppose well, that's yes. perhaps the most interesting interesting of the of the trends. But yeah, it's... Uh, do, can we actually tell from fan reaction? Have the Formula E been looking at this as as a, as uh, Andrew Agag got a specific kind of reason rather than just a feeling it's, about this? It's more that it's more that just you know look at look at the diversity we can have. It's the sort of thing that they they would they would argue that Formula One would love to have. Formula it would One, be great, yeah. But also, it's a different thing. It's like you you've got interesting races in in Formula One in terms of this. It's just it's just a different kind of good. If you see what I mean. And um, what I wonder about keeping the teams and the manufacturers happy, right, is that. For the for for the the investment that they're putting in, DS to Cheetah, take them for example, DS with the powertrain, they've they've only won one race, even though they might have the best car potentially. Like, is I don't know, is, would there be questions about return on investment because they're just like, well, okay, take any manufacturer, they could go right, we've invested this X amount of money and we've produced a, a brilliant package, but we can't show it. That then becomes a problem, surely, because they're not getting. The, the success obviously there's other factors whether it's the fact that there's it's considerable the budgets are considerably lower than say what lmp1 was just a few years ago or whatever so you know it's like okay it doesn't matter we're not we're not spending those and that amount of money so it doesn't really matter if we win too much but that's not really how these teams and and competitors think is it and um, just going back to a question you raised earlier and whether you know thinking about the top 10 in the championship at the end of the year and where to rate the drivers and stuff if you look at the top two currently you've got robin Prines and andre lotterer Andre Lotterer hasn't won a race yet. There is genuinely a chance that he could win this championship without winning a race. That wouldn't necessarily be a bad thing. He's performed brilliantly over this this year. He just hasn't yet hit the ultimate high peak of, of winning a race. But he's been right in there, and he's been he's been very good. I have seen championships in the past. Tom Sneaver famously won his, I think, his second IndyCar title uh, when he was, which would have been, I think, seventy eight off the top of my head. Without winning a race, so it does. It does sometimes happen, but yeah, that that storyline is an important thing. I mean, it sounds very churlish to say, "Oh, there's uh, there's too many winners," isn't it? And it has been good. And you know, one of the reasons I make an effort to make sure I watch Formula E is because it is so interesting and unpredictable, and there's a lot of high quality drivers in it. So, broadly speaking, it is it is being successful. And it may be that things will become a bit clearer in terms of who the the, the title contenders are. But that's an interesting question for someone like DS Chichita because they. They've had one of one or both of their drivers seems to have been interesting and doing stuff in just about every race. They've had a lot of screen time, there's been a lot of stuff going on. So how how do they measure what it could be? Ultimately, if you get to the end of the season and you've won, that justifies your your spend ultimately, doesn't it? Because then you say, Well, we've we've won Formula E, we're the we're the 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 powertrain of the future champions, if you like, because that's one of the things the things they'd like to do. But yeah, I'd I'd like to see uh see it sort of save us. It's really hard. I guess the comparison is when Formula One in 2012, had seven winners in the first seven races. People said it was too random. I'm not convinced that comparison is too legitimate, simply because we're, what, eight races out of 13 into Formula E, and that was seven races out of 20. So less advanced in the championships, we say, and things did start to settle down, and ultimately, yeah, the the tyres created problems there. But 
I mean, do you think it can it can it really be be too random from from that perspective? I guess if people are sitting down to watch a Formula E race, or one of the many ways you can watch a Formula E race, is it bad if you've got no idea who's going to who's going to win? I guess it depends on your perspective. I mean, if you, if if I'm looking at it from my from my perspective of what news stories to chase, or who am I prioritising in terms of the amount of people I, I need to talk to in a, in a limited amount of time, you've got to go for the most high profile options. But if you're just a fan sitting down to to you know watch a race that you might not have or watch a racing series you might not have seen before that anyone being able to win is is surely a very good thing i just wonder is again it comes down to the fundamental problem formula e fa- formula e has which is when it comes to its fans is it appealing to ch- motorsport fans or is it just appealing to anyone to try and to try and get them into into the championship because it's different your normal perception of what a motorsport what success in motorsport is and what a good thing to enjoy about motorsport i'm think as i said before i'm thinking that the the driver battles that we've had across the history of motorsport because you you look at you look at the emotion and you you know you you attach your own feelings onto other people and their success and stuff like that it's it, that is that is lacking this year where but you never know these the, the a new type of fan might see that and go oh that's brilliant oh that everything that happened there oh and that person won fine i'll, I'll watch that again oh it happened again with someone else that, that might be good as well they're both valid viewpoints yeah very much so i think even outside of motorsport, in any sport, though, people connect to that. People like to connect to, to narratives, don't they, rightly or wrongly. I guess that's the main problem at this stage. If I was to ask you to suddenly write a season review, and you always think with a season review, right, well, what is the story of the season? And the story of the season so far is it's been all over the place. That That's the story of the season. It's not Boemi versus Degrassi, or it's not Jean-Éric Verne's redemption, that, that kind of thing that you can attach to previous seasons. I guess maybe that's the... I mean, it could... We could get to the end of the season, and and it is something. It could be Lotterer wins through consistency. He doesn't win a race, but actually, this is why he was the class of the field because of the way he managed to keep his this kind of results average up and and do well. It could be I don't know Jerome D'Ambrosio wins because I mean he's also he's very still in the consistent. Hunt, and yeah. Even when he starts low down the grid as he did in uh, in uh, in Paris, he's able to come through and, and pick up decent points. So that, Can, he consistently does that as well. Exactly. He overcomes bad qualifying. So a story so. could emerge out of that, but it. Right now, the lack of story is a story. Hmm. And also, so, is that a good or a bad? It's it's actually a really interesting well, debate because you keep going round and round in circles in your head with it. Oh, completely. And I know, I know where 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 we would sit as as people covering the championship. But what what the two things that have jumped out to me just then in terms of storylines that you know we we could include in that fictional season review that we'd be doing right now, DS Cheetah being rapid at the beginning of the season and throwing away lots of points. Also commending the virgin team for what they've done this year switched to audi power but had no manufacturer testing as a result of that so they only had the three days in valencia where they struggled with setup and sort of noises in saudi arabia were a bit like oh we're not quite sure about this and then suddenly they were right on it from sort of the early rounds then onwards with their double podium in marrakesh they won in santiago and the team is sort of feeling like uh oh wow actually you know sort of a couple of races ago we might have peaked here we might we're sort of expecting everyone else to come back at us but instead they keep going Fryan's won in Paris and it was a brilliant performance from him he finally earned the, the Formula E win that he'd been he'd been long uh, uh, searching for of course he was once number one in our Formula E season review when Scott Mitchell your predecessor as Formula E correspondent was covering it for us and I hear that his rivals were very happy with Scott about that they were delighted they 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 always uh, the drivers always love not being number one in the uh, in the top 10 we know that. it's amazing how 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 engaged some of them are oh, yeah. in it. Which no, is, they, which they all read it and they do let us know what they think. Yeah, which is which is fair enough. Uh, but yeah, I mean, I think I'm nowhere near as engaged in Formula E as you are, obviously, but it, it sort of feels to me throughout the season, if you said to me, have a 
there's a, a team you'd like to have, it would probably still be DS to Cheetah at this stage because it feels like they're usually thereabouts. And I'm including the kind of the way the team works as well in that. Because um, even though it's not been it's not been great, they're still both up there. Verne is still in Championship contention. He's, what, 19 points down. But that seems to be a good all-round package that they can get working, even if things have gone against them. Absolutely. Am I allowed to have a hybrid DS to Cheetah Virgin team? As long as you don't That's say Neo, team. you can have anything. I've been burned before about that, so <laughs> I'm, I'm not going to. Um, but yeah, I I, I, I do think DSG deserve credit there. Sort of again, it's sort of they, they they suggested there was some sort of uh, teething problems or growing pains was how team boss Mark Preston put it with working with DS, and it was simply just going from where they had the customer Renault operation last year, where it was just like right, here's the package we've got. We know the few changes that can be made, whatever, over the course of the season in terms of software. Let's just go and race it as best we can. Now they're working with a big manufacturer. Okay, it's not a massive manufacturer DS compared to like your Audis, et cetera. But it's a whole different way of working. And I said that to Jean-Eric Verne in Rome because he, last year he said about how, because Tachita was such a small operation, he could just be very direct to people. And if things weren't going in the way he, he perhaps wanted, he was very happy to let them know quite firmly what needed to be done can't do that with a manufacturer you've got it just increases the amount of people involved amount of time involved and maybe things came a little bit unstuck maybe i mean this is pure speculation but the fact that they missed out on those two wins early on in the season didn't help with that and you just sort of got a sense of mm, maybe these this isn't sort of marriage made in heaven that you thought it might have been at the beginning of the season and um, but they have come back really returned to form on strong in sanya which was almost a little bit of a run of a surprise because Watching Vern driving in Hong Kong and that morning in Sanya, you would have you you would not have imagined him winning that race because it was like in Hong Kong in the greasy conditions. He kept he just kept going off the road. We were I went and watched. Then sorry, I keep skipping one race to another. But the mistakes he was making in practice in Hong Kong and then he crashed in qualifying. You could see that at the following race when we watched trackside early on in the morning. It was just all over the place. Suddenly it clicks in qualifying. Helped a little bit by his groups there, his, his qualifying group there. And he nailed it in the race, and he sort of he, he, he his experience in Formula E enabled him to beat Oliver Rowland because he was like, right, I know what's going to happen now. I'm going to lull him into into full sense of security and nail the only time I can pull off a pass, and he did that. So, yeah, firmly still in the title hunt to uh, defend his title, although that's not how he sees it. You say to him, oh, your championship defence isn't going very well, or you might say your championship defence is going well, but he doesn't see it like that. He says, right, no, I'm not defending a title. That title is mine forever. It's this new title that I've now got to win. So it's a, it's, a, it's an interesting an interesting change in mindset that he's got there. Yeah, that's no, an interesting approach. Mentioning Oliver Rowland there instantly makes me think of uh, Nissan, the Edams team. Look at the championship table. Correctly, because he drives for them, yes. Yeah, very much so, very much so. I can't say I miss anything. Oliver Rowland, 12th in the championship. Sebastian Buemi, 13th in the championship. Uh, they've not won a race. They've had one podium with uh, with Rowland in, in Sanya. And yet the Nissans have been quick. So what on earth is going on there? there is a case to be made that they have the fastest car on the grid. Now, I know I said earlier, you can't say that about Formula E, but if you watch them in practice and in qualifying, the results they're able to put in, they are just nailing it consistently. But when he's been up in Superpole and things have just gone wrong disastrously in the race. Now, I have to be a little bit careful here with Nissan because there are all sorts of rumours about their powertrain setup. Speculation has it that they are the only team running a twin motor setup, which... When it was done in the past in Formula E, it was heavy. It just wasn't. It wasn't very. It just wasn't good. It was just there were too many problems with it. But the theory goes that if you can get if you can get that idea right, it is worth a lot. And um, tricky to go into the sort of the nuts and bolts of what they could be doing if they are doing that because the team just flatly refuses to talk about it, which is interesting in itself. But 
that, that, that I digress slightly there. Um, so what seems to be happening is that they're very, very quick in qualifying and things go wrong in the races, which helps them again in a sort of circular motion because it means they're always in the lower <laughs> groups course, in yeah. qualifying at the subsequent rounds. Um, but in Paris, you thought that I honestly thought that Roland was was nailed on for that win because it ended up being a safety car start because it rained just before the start of the race. So race the FIA said, right, the only fair way to do this because there's trees over one side of the grid, which meant that the track wasn't dry by the time the start was scheduled to happen. They said, right, safety car start, fine. And Paris, we know you, in the dry that they can't overtake. It just it would have been almost impossible for anyone to get past him there. Um, had an off, put it in the wall sort of hinted that it wasn't 100% his fault. We have seen some car trouble with the Nissan yeah, causing a few, a few, crashes. A few times they've had those those kind of lock-ups and go off. Yeah. Boemi had it Is chilly. Yes, yeah, Santiago, and it happened again in practice in Sanya. They said it was different issues each time, but there's something, there was, was obviously something going on there. Roland didn't, Roland didn't say that. He just sort of slightly hinted at it after the race in, uh, in Paris. He said, uh, all I'll say is it's not like me to make a mistake like that so you know we have to take him as well the team said also we're, we're, we're not blaming him they uh, they also weren't blaming the car they were saying we have to look at the data and we you know have to obviously let them do that so hopefully they'll let us know when we arrive in monaco what actually went on there um but when is uh, just going back to him uh, or, or to nissan genuinely you're right it's, it's almost shocking that they haven't won a race because their car just looks fast it, it, it just straight off you just you know they, they had a they had a few little teething problems with the car because Boemi said he said it's very complex so I'm, so I'm talking right back at the beginning of the season they went to, to Saudi Arabia and things just weren't 100% all there all together but you could tell from Marrakesh onwards he was a lot more happy with the with the whole package and it's really come good in qualifying as, as I keep going back to um but yeah again he had another disaster in Paris when Roland after Roland had his incident he was leading ahead of Freund's uh Freund's took his attack mode which wasn't a factor at all in the Paris race for reasons we'll get on to, to later on. I'm talking wet weather. Uh, spoilers. Apologies. Um, I mean, I have been ranting and raving about spoilers in the office this morning due to various Game of Thrones and Avengers things. But hopefully by the time this podcast comes out, I'll have seen both of those and this won't be an issue. And it's not an issue anyway. But I'm, I'm going to urge people to, uh, on social media, just tweet your spoilers now. Excellent. Excellent. Good, good, good. Right. Well, that, that I'm definitely seeing Avengers tomorrow then. Uh, so, but uh, uh, um, therefore, attack mode wasn't quite as influential as it could have been because we didn't see it because of the wet weather. Uh, but Freins, during dry early stages, took his first attack mode. But when me, who was in front and leading by this point with Roland out, he played the perfect attack mode counter tactic, which is as soon as the guy behind you is taking it, you take it immediately. That negates the advantage and it's not an issue. You've got the same high power level and eventually yours will last that little bit longer and you, it, it will be as it were. As long as you retain track position. Precisely. The slight problem Boemi made was the very the corner before was a tight right hander and he locked up going into it. And the activation zone was on the inside, which a lot of the drivers don't like because of precisely what happened next, which was Boemi came across, but because he'd run wide, Fryan had stuck his nose up the inside. I mean, where else was he going to go, really? And Boemi comes across and there's contact. Fryan hits him with his nose, the back of Boemi's car, actually hit, it, hit his, hit his uh, wheel, his tyre there. When he gets to his hat mode anyway, stays ahead, all fine. But a few laps later, it turns out that contact had caused a slow puncture. The nose had gone in right on the valve when he said it was basically like, if he did it again, that wouldn't happen in a million years sort of situation. Got him a slow puncture. He dropped out of the lead, had to get it replaced. Actually got a pit lane speeding penalty when he came in to get those repairs to make things uh, even worse. And that was it. Race done. So an an another case where you had Nissan looking nailed on and it just all fell apart. It's been quite the pattern this season. Yeah, just one of those seasons, them I guess. Uh, you've mentioned the qualifying rules a few times with the with the groups. We should prob probably just come back to that briefly. 
I guess there has been a lot of debate about whether it's necessary. Some drivers like don't like it. Some drivers are okay with it. Obviously, it has played a big part in 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 keeping everyone tightly packed in the championship by effectively giving an advantage for the most part for those who are who are lower down. So, can you just explain why it's having such an impact and where the debate is at at the moment? Do you think it's a good a good system, bad system? Percy thinks it's a very good system. I mean, I, I appreciate I'm almost having my cake and eating it too there by saying, oh, I don't like constant, uh, constantly different winners when the, the singular factor in producing those uh, constantly different winners I'm in favour of. But it is a sort of a more a more natural, more fair way of mixing up the grids rather than having like a reverse grid or, or whatever, which would perhaps be a step too far. Um, in, ter- in terms of where the drivers are, the vast majority of them, if I, I'd probably say all of them don't like it to a certain extent because they see it as, well, we're being successful, you know, we're, we're effectively being penalised. Um, Mitch Evans was in Group 1 for the first time after his win in Rome when it came to Paris. He's very sensible about it. He's just like, you know, we've just got to get on with it. And, and Alan McNish has made a very good point as well. It's like, just because you're in Group 1, that's actually a good thing. It means you're up there in the championship and your rivals are all with you. The problem that they have, and Formula E have disputed this, but basically whoever goes out on the circuit first, I was talking to Sam Bird in the pit lane in Paris, and he was saying, after the race, he was saying, you know, whoever goes out first in that Group 1 on track basically doesn't get out. And it was it happened to Evans in Paris. You could see it. he was the first car out and he was just nowhere. So there is something going on there in terms of, it's not track evolution, it's just sort of track deficit the deficit that you have by going out there and, cl- and cleaning the cleaning the circuit and it is almost coming down to that because especially in paris we saw all sorts of you know bits dropping off trees and the little seeds that uh seem to be everywhere in paris the circuit was just was just really was really dirty by the by the end of qualifying anyway because just the amount of time that passed for it all to be to coming in also it actually in, in this qualifying session the wind was a massive factor in that because it was really blustery on, on race day so do we just say on qualifying people just need to sort of Put up with it and uh, and get on with it because it is it is necessary. Yep, which is exactly what Alan Minish said after I spoke to him in Rome. It was just you know it, we understand their criticism and you you can see their point of view, but the rules are the rules. It's not like in the past where there was a lottery in effect, which sort of you had drew the groups at random. That in itself isn't fair because you you just don't know where you're going to end up. This at the very least is fair. It's black and white. It's in the rules. It's got to, they have to get on with it. Uh, well, let's also talk about the the overall start of the racing we did start to see well we have seen some criticism growing about the kind of bumper cars element of it i know i was in in baku last week for the uh the azerbaijan grand prix and on the sunday obviously various people keep an eye on formula e and a few people raised that formula e they felt was looking a bit stupid because of the amount of contact that was that was going on obviously there were a number of incidents in the uh in the paris race uh, particularly in the wet which we uh again another spoiler we will get on to uh, too shortly so is it a problem? Is the racing bad, or is it just a? I mean, I would say it's partly a function of if you're going to race on those kinds of tracks, these tight street circuits, things are going to get quite robust. If you want to see any overtaking, so we have to go back a few races to sort of relook at it because, as as, as we keep alluding to, we get onto why Paris was a complete crash fest, um, was 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 because of the wet weather. But the reason why there has been so much contact in Every Formula E race so far this season, except maybe Saudi Arabia, but there was still a, there was still a little bit going on there. Basically, um, the FIA and Formula E, when they came up with a Gen 2 car, they looked at the Gen 1 car and said, right, where have we got some problems here? And one of the problems was if you look to the rear, there were those big pods over the back of the wheels. Um, 
And if there was contact at the rear, those pods would either come off or come loose. And quite often they'd just be left hanging there, flapping around. And a driver could be completely innocent, hit up the rear. That's where the damage occurs. And the FIA says, nope, that's not safe. That could bounce out. That could be bouncing on the straight and, and maybe hit another driver or bounce, into, bounce over the fence or whatever. Got to come in and get that fixed. Which they felt was completely penalising a driver who'd been, or meanwhile, had been completely innocent in a clash, right? So what they decided was, was okay, let's make the Gen 2 car overall stronger so the whole car is now significantly stronger more robust and that includes the front of the car so effectively what you've got is the drivers very quickly worked out that you could do the classic formula e little nudges and touches and stuff like that there's always been a feature of the racing but you could go a little bit further and you could almost not 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 i, I'm not, I wouldn't say they're sort of sinisterly using it to their advantage but also they just knew that they could they could afford to stick it in that little bit more because it's not like in formula one where if you break the front the you know your front wing or whatever you're massively compromised at the end of the race for the rest of the race because you know you've got an aero problem there that doesn't happen in formula e because the aero is spec and it's it's the speeds are lower and there's not there's not the overall downforce is significantly lower so the drivers worked out that okay, that was fine. You're basically getting you, you get away with it if you if you go for sort of a slightly more optimistic move and uh, and contact is made and you're the aggressor sort of with your nose. Also, the problem comes from the lack of energy efficiency tests and the the sort of argument is that you know basically the counter argument to that is that like okay, well if it's about efficiency, more efficient cars will just overtake easily and that will be that would be a bad thing. Well, actually, it's 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 the contra way of looking at it. If you've got more energy to use overall, you can use it to defend. And that's what was happening. It was the the harsh defending and the harsh over, overtaking all coming together and it was just getting too much. And we saw incidents like the Sandbird Andre Lottery in Hong Kong. I, mean, I, don't, I don't think that was a, a particularly nasty move from Sandbird, but it had massive consequences in that, lot, you know, ruined Lottery's race. And then we had the whole debacle of the race winner getting penalised and blah, blah, blah. And it doesn't, you know, that's not great. So what Formula E did ahead of Rome, which was they said they sat the drivers down and said, right, okay, now from now on, we've got a new system here. First of all, our stewards have now been told, we, basically the FIA are very keen to point out, they can't make the stewards pick penalties. That, that They are completely independent and it's up to them. But, but they reminded them, right, this is the full set of penalties that you've got available to you. If X happens, this is the sort of penalty we now want to see applied. So basically getting uh, stricter penalties for contact effectively. What they also introduced was uh, a warning system, which one FIA official described as sort of like a yellow card essentially, which the race director, Scott Elkins in Formula E in this case, can say, right, I don't like that behaviour. I don't like what that driver's done. If you do it again, investigation, you'll probably get a penalty. That's sort of the implication there. And we saw that in the Rome race with Evans and Lotterer. That though was interesting for two reasons. One, it established where the line was. Basically, if you go beyond that line, right, that's a slam dunk warning, probable, probable investigation. If it's because if, if that's considered a warning, well, if it's worse than that, then, you know, you, you can supersede the, uh, invest, uh, the yellow car process by going straight to an investigation. So established where the boundaries were. And that was key for the drivers because a few of them, I think, were a little bit like, right, does that mean we just get a free pass for the first one? And the FYI were like, no, absolutely not. Why it was also interesting was because if you look at the move that Evans puts on Lotterer, at no point is his nose level or ahead with Lotterer's front wheels, right? It's quite a long way back when they arrive at the corner, but he's still alongside. So Lotterer can't come over and shut the door on him. So it's, he's, he's earned the right to make a move. He's just not earned the corner. So where you get, you get contact between Evans' uh, uh, left front and Lotterer's right wheel, right? So that's the first bit of contact. Lotterer can't turn in. 
and Evans can't really go anywhere. So Lotterer has to go wide, and that effectively means that Evans come, comes past him, comes past him, comes past him. Lotterer has to get off the gas, get on the brakes, otherwise he's going to end up in the wall. Second bit of contact occurs because Lotterer then has to turn. He's got no choice. And he hits, again, sort of the same sort of part, on a, on a, a little bit further back. Sorry, I was using my hands there to demonstrate to Ed, so I was going <laughs> further and further away from the, the microphone. Uh, terrible, you were terrible. very, very well. It's like I was there. Great. Excellent. <laughs> excellent. Well, um, it's a terrible podcasting form there, as it were. So, going back. So, so w- what could Lotterer have done? Or what could Evans have done in the same place? It was interesting. So, so what would have been interesting to see was had the exact situation happen in reverse once these yellow cards or this warning had been issued, right? If that, if because both of them got a warning for 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 both of them doing, you know, for, for what more could either one of them done? If you see what I mean. So had the same situation happened again, Lotterer attacks Evans, the exact same move, the exact same contact. Would they then have got penalties? It's not. It's it's not clear that that would have happened. But that is what the the new clarification is. If you've done it once and you do it again, you get an investigation and you get a penalty, which would have been really, really strict. And we could have seen Stoffel Van Dorn getting his first win since what uh, Super Formula twenty sixteen. That could yeah, happen. Yeah, yeah, he won on that season. Yeah, yeah. It's it's interesting actually. Just one of the things we've been talking about here is the type of races that we're getting in Formula E, and obviously because Formula One is my is my regular beat, inevitably I kind of compare it to that, which I imagine quite a lot of motorsport fans do for kind of a single seater racing category. I'm sort of the the whole way races play out has been sort of on my mind recently because after the Azerbaijan Grand Prix in Baku I appeared as a guest on the F1 Strategy Report podcast our friends over there Michael Laminato host he appeared on one of our podcasts uh, between China and Baku and so we had a little bit of an exchange there and uh, and then yeah I, I appeared on their, their their podcast which is always always very interesting f1strategyreport.com if you're interested in that it's available via Spotify Apple Podcasts whatever all the places you can get the the Autosport podcast so Obviously, I always do this as part of the race analysis for autosport, but just kind of extra thought about it. When you're really digging into a race like, say, the Azerbaijan Grand Prix, which is all about little sliding door tours moments all the way through, there's no specific incident. So actually, it all added up to someone watching at home fairly probably a fairly flat race actually but actually there's all this fascinating stuff that you can dig into and you get all this detail and uh and uh things you can bring some interest and insight to, which is obviously what one strategy report does does a lot of. But when it comes to Formula E, you've got this completely different type of racing. All these different challenges. Obviously, the track position—you can't you can't get track position by having the strongest package by default, as it were, which you kind of can in in Formula One. And you, so we do see more of these these incidents. People trying to barge past. It's a totally totally different set of parameters that dictate what happens in the in the racing, which is fascinating when it comes to that, to that whole question of of the kind of racing that works for people and is for, I mean, Formula E has been very careful the way Alejandro Agag has placed it so that it's not kind of going directly up against Formula One. If it was just trying to be, as some series have done in the past, sort of try to form, follow Formula One and just be a, another version, that's just not really, really worked. So it is interesting that it's so dramatically different. I think it's difficult to find two series that are ostensibly so similar actually being so different in terms of the way they work. Which is why it's frustrating when you when you see comments generally on social media that are saying just like, oh, well, it's just, it's rubbish. It's not Formula One. It's trying to be Formula One. It's just, it's it's quiet. Come on. It's like, you can have two different similar things and then both be brilliant, surely. 
Like what Formula E, I think, has always been very, like I say, very careful, but also very clever in doing is saying we're not Formula One. We're not targeting Formula One fans. We can exist together. And that's completely the right way of doing it. And you're right. It's it's completely different in terms of, uh, you know, the way the races play out and the different parameters that that make that, that, you know, establish what's good and what's bad. It's like in Formula One, you just have to produce the outright fastest car. And as I said earlier, that just doesn't matter in Formula E. It's the most efficient car. And then so there's a key difference between fastest and what is best in Formula E. Hmm. Oh, exactly. And I suppose in Formula One, because it's Formula One, it's got all this grand history and it is the, the place where it has so much attention on it. So you can afford to have the, the slight, a slightly more, some people disagree with that, almost a more pure approach to the racing, which is obviously what uh, delving into but it just it just just struck me simply because of what we've been doing with the f1 f1 strategy report should we say and the style of racing but uh, do check out our friends at f1 strategy report f1 strategy report.com download their podcast i think if you like the old sport podcast you'll probably get on very well well with theirs but yeah formula e is different and you know i i, I enjoy watching it. i think there's there's some in formula one who kind of tend to dismiss it i think people who are massively invested in one racing category often do, do that to other racing categories not just people in formula one all of them it's tribalism isn't it yeah exactly exactly so you inevitably get it but uh but i think formula e, formula e does offer something i think coming back to this point about the criticism of the racing you've explained very well why these things are happening and how the fia has kind of set itself to to police this but i think ultimately it's better that there's a, little, a few too many incidents and it is interesting and exciting and there is some controversy than it was really dull and there wasn't, and it's processional. Just as it's, it's better that it's unpredictable and having loads of winners rather than just one person was dominating. You could maybe nudge the dial back a little bit closer to the to the centre of, of those spectrums if you want to look at it uh, as, as those are the extremes. But you know, it's not it's not a disaster for Formula E. It's high quality drivers, manufacturer teams, and interesting and engaging racing. Although I can appreciate why people are. Annoyed. Who was it that Mortara um, did that terrible move? Alex on Lynn. Yeah, yes. I mean, I can understand why. You I think I think Mortara's move was optimistic at best and reckless at worst. Yeah, it I, just I, wasn't an overtaking spot. Know, there. That that move stood out for me. In fact, we will because we're about to get onto the wet race uh, and and what went on. Wait, we haven't talked. What, you mean we haven't talked about that? Not, yet? We well, we haven't mentioned. We've it alluded repeatedly. to it, but we've not talked about and it. I think I would, anyone I would, would have noticed that. Though. But but for example, in that race, we had a number of incidents where one car was getting into the back of another. And a lot of them were just because of the wet weather, ultimately. Well, the Matara one was a little bit different, I would say. I'd say that was a bit more misadventure on his part. But was it as difficult as it looked? Do, do, do we excuse the drivers for what happened? This is the first genuine Formula E wet race that there's been. And it, it, obviously, it, the, the rain really came down during the race. And it, you know, drivers were all over the place. And we basically, as soon as the rain came, we saw a few brief spells of, of green flag racing and then just lots of lots of safety car. Yeah, it's interesting this one because officially the FIA has declared the Hong Kong race to be Formula E's first ever wet race. So there's been plenty of practice and qualifying sessions over Formula E's history that mean there has been wet weather running taking place, but never before did that actually occur in the race. And there was always, there's always a talk of you go to every Formula E race, you go, oh, seen the weather forecast. They're like, yeah, but it's Formula E. It'll be sunny. It'll be fine. And that usually was the case. wasn't in Hong Kong. However... No rain actually fell from the sky during that race. It was just the track. The the track. Well, yeah, exactly. Where else is it going to come from? Very good point. It's like the front nose thing, as we allude back to JBL. Anyway, Um, I have to throw in a facetious comment every now and again. Oh well, you know, well we come to expect it. It's fine. It's all good. Um, So, so the track was wet from a pre-race shower, but it wasn't. It wasn't because of actual rain during the during the race. So, you know, where where do you draw the line there? But basically, what what I'm getting at here is that. People saying that Paris is Formula E's first ever wet race, technically wrong, 
which I'm sure you appreciate, you know, uh, um, being pedantic about these things, Ed. That's, you know, yeah, yeah. Uh, so anyway, but... Well, you, you could say there's a difference between rain-affected or wet race, I mean, but yeah. I think we've wasted enough time on yeah, that already. Yeah, this is, this is a very uh, <laughs> tedious argument. We'll stop. So, um, so yeah, going back to, to what happened in Paris, um, what what it did do, the fact that this was the first, let's call it the first proper wet race, okay? So you, we finally got to see what it would be like with the drivers going up against each other with lots of water and lots of, you know, lots of things happening, right? Um, it's not like a practice or a qualifying session where essentially you are just running your own, doing your own little thing, and therefore you can cope with what's going on that little bit differently when it's a racing battle situation it's even more intense and hyped up right so uh when you say do we do we blame the drivers i don't i don't really as andre lotterer said in in the press conference afterwards you might not realize it but we've we've talked about it before in autosport magazine and autosport plus and and on the podcast as well that formula e is one of the most difficult cars to drive one of the most difficult championships to be successful in precisely because of that and one of the reasons is the tires these are all worth the tyres that Michelin has produced, right? So it's a jack of all trades and a master of none. It's not a slick that aids you in qualifying or the race and that tyre wear is a massive factor, but therefore adds lap time or adds adds things for the driver. And it's the same in reverse when it gets wet. It's not a wet weather tyre. It's an all weather tyre. Therefore, it's not, I, I also I don't want to I don't want to cut that as come across as a criticism of Michelin. They've been asked to produce a product which they have produced very successfully. It does its job. It is usable in all weathers. It's just when it comes to proper wet weather, the drivers really struggle. Also worth noting that in Paris it was very cold, lots of sunshine throughout the whole weekend, but it was absolutely freezing. Well, that, that's what I was wondering about whether the primary factor in this was was tire temperature or whether it because I, I presume not enough water came down for the amount of water you're clearing to be yeah it wasn't like problem. an aquaplaning problem it was just a, it was just a grip problem that you know just just the general just the general combination of that of that low temperature and low uh, sorry and lots of water going on it just meant that the drivers were, were properly struggling and we saw some we saw some some mad incidents really well, the roland one where he took out sims and that yeah, which, you, which you watch it roland's He's not trying to overtake Sims because he's miles back. He's, no, he's, and he's behind other cars. That, so. that incident was was two incidents. It was Jerome D'Ambrosio hit Bird into the exact same spot. Seconds later, it was Roland and Sims. And also in the background of that incident, there was uh, Van Dorn, and I think he was hit by Lopez, and that put 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 two cars out of the race. It was it was almost farcical at times. It, it, I, I, I sort of I, I said that afterwards on on a, on, a, on a social media Instagram live thing we did with with Nicky Shields in the pit lane, and I thought, oh, actually, it's just a feeling I've got. I can't really defend it, but I've had a little bit more time to think about it, and it just wasn't it just wasn't great. I don't think the drivers are at fault because it's not like they were completely going for the over the top ambitious stuff. Maybe Mortara was perhaps, but they were just doing their best to adapt to the conditions in front of them. It's just that it just it was just too much of it. Yeah, you're right. It's just if they're just trying to survive. And obviously, you're still which racing, is, which so is exactly so what, to... which is exactly what Frines and Lotterer said in the press conference. By the time they were they were leading by this stage, and when the the rain started coming down, it wasn't right. Here's my opportunity to win. It was whoa! I have to, I have to survive this now. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it, it made it made it interesting, but it also made it utterly chaotic, didn't it? I think it's uh, probably a good thing that Formula E doesn't have. Uh, I mean, when you too often when you've got when you've got drivers of the caliber of Oliver Turvey making a mistake and punting Felipe Massa down an escape road. 
it's not because he's a bad driver and it's not because he suddenly lost his mind. It's just because he's doing the best he can. And unfortunately, it just, just didn't come off on that occasion. And it looks clumsy and it looks bad. Yeah, and doubly difficult when the, the rain's coming during the race, so conditions changing, etc. It's just uh, yeah, a nightmare. And that's, that's just going to continue to happen. Because like you say, it's a compromised tyre, isn't it? And the compromise will probably, I imagine, be a little bit more in favour of being dry because it will be dry most of the time. So. Absolutely. Yeah, what can you do? I'm glad we finally covered wet weather, having alluded to it. <laughs> yeah, we're just teasing people with it. Uh, I did want to mention, this is something that happened a, a while ago, but Jaguar winning, Mitch Evans won in Rome. Obviously, there was a huge amount of interest and excitement when Jaguar came came in with this this, this factory programme, a famous a famous name in racing, and it, it took a while to get there, but it seems to be a decent package, Jaguar. We know Mitch Evans, I think, is is a seems to me to be one of the stronger drivers actually in Formula E. I've been impressed with what he's done. Perhaps not a surprise because we know how good a good a driver he is, but perhaps until that win happened, people might not have noticed how good he was. I mean, obviously Nelson Piquet Jr. had his problems with the team and got, uh, got uh, ended up being dropped. So, yeah, Mitch Evans doing a good job and, and I guess good for Formula E as well. A, a, a manufacturer like Jaguar can kind of come in almost cold. It's not the only one that's done that, but it's not just the... You know, obviously we've got a team that manufactures like Porsche and Mercedes coming in, but it shows that ones that perhaps don't have active programs elsewhere can go in off a cold start and uh, and and show what they can do. Oh, it, it, it proves the concept absolutely. As we were saying, you know, spreading that success around, you you can you know you can say, yeah, look, we we we're right in the thick we're right in the thick of it, and we have we can we've got something to show for our investment there. Um, maybe not the overall title, but at least at least something sort of thing. Um, with Jaguar, you got the sense that there was. No one ever really stated it outright, but you got the feeling there was a lot of pressure on that team. As you said, the, the first season in Formula E, absolute disaster. Last year, okay, a little bit of progress, signs of encouragement. You really expected them to kick on, and it just didn't seem to be happening. Evans, remarkably consistent, but never hitting the high, sort of the higher peaks that we've seen from the other drivers and the other teams. In the other car, as you said, Nelson BK Jr. scored almost no points. And, the, and first, he's, the first Formula E champion. Yeah, he, exactly. He is a champion. This isn't a bad Formula E driver. This is a very good Formula E driver. So you just wondered what was going on there and it seemed like the relationship between him and the team were just broken down and by the time, you know, they, they split ahead of the Rome race, it was almost sort of a relief for both sides. And then you got Evans winning in Rome and it was a fantastic performance. Really, really do, you know, you have, you have to say credit where credit's due. That was a, that was a great, great race from him there. And it, it finally, you could finally see that sort of relief flooding through the team and James Barkley when I spoke to him in Rome he acknowledged that it was like you know we've been through thick and thin as a team and we're a new team and we're all we've all been it here right from the very beginning so this was like a it was a real emotional moment and what you know what what was interesting about Jaguar is that they haven't looked like pace setters at any point up until Rome but yet as I said earlier it was it was a Jaguar and a DS cheetah that were being very successful there suddenly it was like right Here's, here's what we're showing what we can do and we get it all right and it was interesting to just put that to the team it was like well why are you suddenly doing well and they, their point of view is well actually we just we needed to focus on getting better in qualifying it always comes back to that if you can nail qualifying you give yourself a massive chance of seeing what you can do in the race should we just have a little look ahead to Monaco on Saturday sure thing obviously Formula E only goes to Monaco every other year doesn't it, it kind of it has, the, it has a two-year alternation with the classic historic yeah, Monaco. Exactly, yeah, and of course it's a, it's a curtailed Monaco circuit, isn't it? Yes, well, we were all expecting it this time last year for them to be using the, looking forward a year, a year in advance, uh, for them to be using the full Grand Prix track. But the FIA, Jean Todd, was like, no, nope, that's not happening. No, that's... They don't want the comparison with Formula One. That seems to be what, what it is. They don't want Formula E's sort of slower speeds to be 
massively exposed would be ridiculously unfair for people to do that because it's like we've said before it's a different bit of motorsport yeah, it doesn't, it but doesn't that's matter. just that's just what it goes back to that tribalism thing that the, the form, formula what formula e's detractors would just go oh well it's x amount slower and but formula e's that's the, what they want some to of the more motivated formula e detractors will do that will just find something won't they they won't and, and i think outright outright lap time isn't isn't that significant really it's not it's whether something's entertaining but well, I mean it's good for Formula E to have this uh, to go to Monaco because it is a street circuit event isn't it so uh, series so it's good for it to to go to, uh, to try. I'd like it to go to Poe yeah. why isn't Formula E going to Poe yeah find out Poe Grand Prix obviously is a fantastic illustrious title that dates back a long time. In fact, I think Poe might have been the first motor race, big motor race, to have Grand Prix attached to it, if memory serves, uh, which is always a dangerous thing to uh, to rely on. But yeah, uh, well, <laughs> coming back to Monaco, obviously, it is something of the, the blue ribbon event, I guess, for for Formula E. Buemi has gone well there historically, so is, is this finally the time for for him and uh, and Nissan Edams to to get their act together? He is undefeated there from his Renault days. Won won both Formula E races in what season was it? Uh, season three and season one was it? Season one, guys. All that time ago, um, yeah, I've been I've been tipping Buemi and and Nissan every race basically for the last three rounds, and it's <laughs> it's always gone wrong. So if I tip him again, that might be a bit unfair. But you know, he's he's got a favourable group. We know if he gets through to Super Bowl, he'll be right up at the front there, and he can build on that past success. It's all there for him. Yeah, it makes sense. And actually, looking at it, even though they're they're nowhere in the championship in terms of position, it's not it's not impossible to surge through from where they are. It'd be hard, but. You know, not not totally out of the question, particularly with the fact nobody at the front is racking up big points uh, week in week out. I'm fairly fanciful they could they could be in it, but but you never know with with five races to go. It's uh, it, it's possible. I mean, I mean, do you, do you get enthusiastic about being at Monaco with Formula E? You know, I've never been to Monaco, so I, I'm looking. I'm very much looking forward to it because I've never been. And um, what I what I would say, uh, so basically, what I'm getting at there is, I want some sort of rest recommendations of where to to eat, perhaps have a beer if one if I can afford one in Monaco. Um, uh, astonishing, astonishingly, given my build, I'm not brilliant at those sort of recommendations. I can recommend some great places to stand and watch. It's one of the things I'm, I'm not a huge fan of the Monaco Grand Prix. As a thing just, to, just make sure none of them are to, in the second sector because I won't be there. Well, be no point going true, there. But I, I absolutely love watching trackside there, and there's loads. There's loads of, uh, of good places to to watch. I'm just trying to think of the the track because they basically they go through Sandovot and then they turn, turn down, right, turn right at Sandovot, essentially, down, sort of more right, drop down onto the harbour front, kind of by at the, the chicane. They they turn around at the chicane. Okay, okay. So uh, yeah, it's uh, maybe takes out some of the favourite places, but even so, it's it's a it's a great place to to watch racing cars, and you might. While you might be, obviously you'd be used to that from Formula E being tight street circuits, but it's a slightly more, but just because of the way it's laid out and everything, it's all a little bit more twisty in places and uneven. So hopefully it'll be uh, be interesting to, to watch out. You're right, it's more it's more technical than your typical Formula E mm. circuit, which is sort of lots of 90 degree corners. Less buildings. consistent. Yeah, exactly, exactly. And uh, what, what, I'm, what I like about Formula E going to race in Monaco is that it gives it another city centre track. They say this a lot of Formula E, it's like, oh, we're city centre racing. It's like, well, actually, if you look at it, not many of them are. Paris, yes, they invalid, right in the heart of the city. Um, Monaco, yes. Mexico, no, that's a park and an established racing, racing circuit anyway. Same with Santiago, that was in a park. Marrakesh, part permanent track, 
also on, well on the outskirts of, of Marrakesh. Uh, Riyadh, the Adiria there, that was almost a purpose-built facility, not in the centre of the city. Uh, Sanya, the same thing. Sanya, it wasn't even in Sanya. It was over an hour's drive from Sanya. <laughs> totally different part of Haiyan Island, but obviously the Sanya Ypres. Uh, Hong Kong, probably another one you can make a city centre case although it's sort of slightly up on the waterfront near a ferry terminal. So anyway, yeah. Yeah, well, I'm, as you know, I'm always a big fan of seeing good good uh, noted monuments. So Rome's great. Yeah, although, no, uh, well, Paris, Rome... Sorry, I meant Paris is great for that. Yes, it's, no, Paris, it's, Paris, it's Paris is. One. That's another one I was going to say. Rome, Rome isn't. Rome is well out in the, yeah, in the exactly, Euro district. Yeah. It's a completely sort of almost... It's almost like a different city if you look at the architecture because it was built during the fascist era. Like, it's it's completely different yeah, to see, what you think it, of typically Rome as Rome. Formula, a Rome from Rome track, I want to see go past the Colosseum. I want to see it past the Forum. You know, it's that's that's what you need. Never going to happen. But no, the Rome Formula the Rome Rome Formula track is brilliant. It's up there with one of the best. Um, so yeah, Monaco city centre, Berlin definitely Knox is at Tempelhof Airport, and that is effectively a sort of purpose built facility. I actually quite like. Uh, I love Tempelhof. it. I don't know you want. I love it. It's a it's a fascinating an imposing setting it's that art deco building and the, yeah. just the i don't know if it's still I, I went there in the first season so it's been a few years back now but obviously the the, the airport's no longer in, in use but you go through and it's still kitted out like an airport and you've got the check-in desks and signs so it's just got it's just got that nice nice feel to it it's unusual and they've just got this because the track's basically just created on a big open space isn't it yeah which is what i was going to say is what i would like i would like to see them do a different berlin epre track every year why not Be- because they can you you've got all that space why not just 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 randomize it slightly and um, but that interestingly i think i i one suspects that will be probably the first proper efficiency test we'll see unless there's some mad contact at the first corner or whatever the track is wide enough and it's it's not there's no sort of lots of proper buildings and walls to get the you know to to make the track narrow you shouldn't have that you know that full course yellow safety car red flag problem so therefore we'll see an efficiency test there and you can overtake that's a very very good point 25th of may that race that was one to look forward to i'll be surprised if monaco gets by without uh without such interruptions and just to can i just complete the full full list we haven't been to burn yet but i think that is going to be another city center race uh, and new york isn't because it's out in the in the port district there in brooklyn ah yes yeah yeah might as well be uh be complete but uh great list of cities and, and places to go to so that's uh one of the other successes of Formula E. Well, thanks very much, Alex Callanorcus, for your uh, for your insight. It's good to catch up with goings on in Formula E. Yep, thank you, Ed. Thanks for having me. Been a pleasure. So do check out autosport.com for the latest news on Formula E, Formula One, World Rally Championship, IndyCar, the lot, and have a look at our plus subscriber area where for a small fee you can read the world's best motorsport journalists. That, of course, is Alex's other task to oversee the content in plus, which is... Uh, Basically, I was, I was going to say the other half of your job, but that's basically more than your second job. It's, it's weird. It feels like when I'm in the office, that's my full-time job. And when I'm at Formula E events, that's my full-time job. It's like I have, I have it's almost like jumping out of one swimming pool and going into another. I'm completely <laughs> immersed in one. It's just like it's, it's finding the, the balance of the two. Please also do check out Sister Cycles F1 Racing Magazine out monthly, Motorsport News out every Wednesday on motorsport.com. And if you fancy a flutter, download the Pit Stop Betting app. And do, if you like the Autosport podcast, subscribe to us on whatever platform you like, iTunes, Spotify. If you go to the Spreaker website, you can you can like us there, and uh, that may be a way you like to listen to the podcast. It's normally out every every Monday and Thursday, so two bites of the Autosport podcast every week. Just um, you feel free to cut this out at the end, Ed. But um, the, the 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 strategy motorsport manager game that you go on about in the uh, in the Formula One podcasts. Um, I have a bone to pick about that because I believe this has been the first podcast I've been on since Kevin Turner announced that the team's poor strategy decisions should just be. Um, what was it find a scapegoat like Alex Kalanokas or Scott Mitchell? I thought that was a bit 
That's a bit harsh. Yeah, I'm, I'm for that. I'm, I mean, we're getting closer to scoring points, but we should do. So if we go for a few more races... I'm, I'm my next on the line. You, you might, you might, yeah. You're, I, I can't allow myself to be blamed. This is when it all goes a bit Game of Game of Thrones, and you have to make sure someone else is blamed. Ah, it's spoilers. <laughs> but yeah, IGP manager, yeah, still going strong in that. We've got a race, uh, yeah, another race coming up, so that's going to be difficult. IGP manager, obviously available for Android, iOS, and on, on browser. So have a look at that as well. Thanks for joining us. We'll be back soon with another Auto Sport podcast. <laughs>